0: Good evening, we welcome you to our Wednesday evening Bible study and we will begin after prayer by reading from Colossians 3, beginning at verse 22 and down through chapter 4 and verse 1, Colossians three twenty-two through chapter 4, verse 1. The main theme of this section is if you are a Christian, these are the standards that you will want to adopt in your life day by day. Life in Christ is more than just a claim. It is the way you live from day to day. That kind of direct, simple, practical instruction is given in this section in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 22 and down through chapter 4 and verse 1. That will be the location of our study And we'll begin by reading that after prayer. Heavenly Father, we come into thy presence with hearts open to learn. Help us concentrate on thy teaching with intention to apply what we learn. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let me take a moment to reintroduce this section where our study is located in the latter part of chapter 3. Remember that beginning back with verse 18 and all the way into chapter 4, there is instruction for us pertaining to various roles in the family and in the workplace. And so, wives, husbands, children, fathers, servants, masters, instruction from God about how we conduct ourselves in attitude and action in these relationships. If the word of Christ dwells in me, if I want to act as Christ directs, doing everything in his name, I'm pulling in some of the phrases from our previous study, then I'll want to know these instructions and follow these instructions as to my role in the family and in the work setting. And it may be of some value to observe how simply structured this instruction is. The role is identified, the responsibility is stated, and your relationship to the Lord is both the authority and the motive to act as Paul commands. And so in this case that we're going to look at tonight, the role is servants, the responsibility is to obey, And the authority and the motive is fearing the Lord. And then we will get to masters when we get into chapter 4 at verse 1. So, from 18 through 21, I'm sorry, from 22 down, from 22 down, slaves, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, in these verses, and that is to be done fearing the Lord. And so, whereas we had from 18 to 21 family relationships and conduct that is fitting in the Lord in that setting, here we move to the workplace. And I need to say something that can become a distraction when you come to sections like this in the New Testament. Give me a moment to try to remove this distraction. In the first century, under Roman rule and Roman culture, in places, especially out in the provinces like Colossae and Ephesus and other places, there was the institution of slavery. Servants or workers were not employed in the same way people today enter into employment, and servants and workers in Colossae and other places did not enjoy the individual freedom that we take for granted in the modern workforce with employee rights, especially out in the Roman provinces like Colossae and Ephesus, there was something called voluntary indentured servitude. Voluntary indentured servitude. There was an existing institution of slavery in the first century, but it was not the same as pre Civil War slavery that we are familiar with in our history, that we see in movies, and that we deplore. First century slavery was most often indentured servitude. People without land or profession or good income could sign themselves over to a master voluntarily and become servants to pay a debt or to earn some income during a set period of time. And that was the slave-master relationship that existed mostly out in the provinces in the Roman culture. Uh, There is simply no historical evidence that first century servitude was anything like pre-Civil War slavery in this country, the exception being in the city of Rome under Nero. Paul is writing out to one of the provinces in Colossae. So what we need to do here is try to delete from our minds the imagery of pre-Civil War slavery and think of this more in terms of a servant master relationship. Or in our vernacular in our economy today, an employee employer relationship. That's how we would apply this teaching today. So Several words here. You start with this word, obey. And I think most of us know what that signifies. This means compliance, following rules and policy, fulfilling your job description, arriving on time, everything that is involved in faithful employment and honest work ethic. That's how we apply this today. But then notice what it says next. Obey is explained in the words that follow. It says obey in everything. So let's add that to it. Here's another statement that I call a statement of scope. We talked about that Sunday. In chapter 3, back in verse 17, There's a statement of scope where it says, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do. And here is another scope statement in verse 21. In everything. Therefore, you cannot as an employee look at that policy and procedure manual and say, well, I like this over here on page 17. I'll comply with that. But this policy and these rules over here on page 41, I just don't like those, and so I'm not going to obey those. That's not the attitude that is consistent with what Paul is saying here. You can't just pick out the policies and procedures you like and ignore what you don't like. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, There is something we call the Acts 5.29 exception. You remember we talked about that before, the Acts 5.29 exception. You can write that passage down and consult it. If a human authority asks you to sin, what is your answer going to be? No. You're not going to do that. So that's the exception that we sometimes refer to as the Acts 5.29 exception. Because Peter and John were told you are not to preach the gospel. But God told them to preach the gospel. So Peter and John had to say no. So we call that the Acts five twenty nine exception. So if your boss tells you, listen, on this record down here, we want you to lie. You can't do that because God has told you not to lie. But where that exception does not apply... Your response is to obey in everything your master. And if you have trouble with slave and master or servant and master, just think of worker and supervisor. Your response is to obey in everything your boss, your supervisor, your employer. And then we have another phrase that helps us understand the scope of this obedience. It says, Not with eye service. If your work looks good only when someone is looking, you have violated this. If your work is acceptable only when you're being watched, that's not pleasing to the Lord. If nobody's in the office, nobody is watching, the boss is out for the day, The Christian will work with the same diligence, the same excellence and honesty as if everybody were over his shoulder watching. The Lord, we know, is always watching. Of course, I guess today there are those video cameras, and so somebody's always watching. But even if the cameras are dead, and nobody's in the office, and the supervisor is gone, You're going to work as unto the Lord with excellence and integrity. And that brings us now to motive. The next phrase. In sincerity of heart fearing God. In sincerity of heart fearing God. That's going to be the motive that compels you to do what is previous to this phrase. Insincerity of heart fearing God. The motive is not just to get that check on Friday. Or every other Friday or whenever payday is. I think you ought to get that check and it ought to be just and fair. We'll talk about that in chapter 4 verse 1. But you have a deeper underlying motive in the workplace. You have a deeper underlying motive. And that is to do what is right before God. Because he's watching and he requires this of his people. So, in the workplace, however our employment was entered into may be very different from how their employment was entered into out in the Roman provinces. But in our workplace, however we've entered into employment as a worker, we are to be obedient and honest in our work and doing all of this, fearing God. And that's all captured in verse 22, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of our service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Very plain. And we must embrace it and act that way in the workplace. Your comments before I continue. Verse 23 deserves our attention. And it's a scope statement. You see that in verse 23? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now you may be in a circumstance where you are neither an employee nor an employer. But there are things you have to do. There are responsibilities about your life that you have to undertake. There are things that you need to do with regard to your association with the local church and with your family and with your neighborhood and your community. So this is a scope statement that takes in everything, whatever you do. Work heartily, and look at this now, as for the Lord and not for men. There's that deeper motive, dimension That we must take with us into whatever we do. As a Christian, I must do all I can do, the best I can do, with all the strength and energy and responsibility I can bring to the task. Don't let someone tell you that there is a work ethic that came along later, many generations after the New Testament. The American work ethic. I tell you, the work ethic goes back way before America existed. It goes back to Paul, and Paul is writing as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Whatever I do that is right, I should do it well with excellence and sincerity as to the Lord and not to men. So here's another of those scope statements we discover In Colossians 3, it's broad and inclusive, whatever you do. Questions? Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now, at this point, someone upon their first reading of this may say, well, why is this so important? Why are you studying this? Why are you reading this? What's the importance of this in the broader scheme of things? 24 and 25. Knowing, this is knowledge that you bring into this obedience, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. You remember I mentioned a moment ago about the payday? There's a bigger payday. There's another payday way out there and I want that reward, don't you? There's another payday out there. I must not divide and classify and otherwise separate out my life into categories. And then think that some of these categories just do not involve my service to the Lord. Now, it may not be that obvious or confessed, but I think it's what some people tend to do. They break their life down into categories. And there's the economic part of my life and the occupation part and the recreation part and the social part. And then over here in the corner somewhere, there's the church part, the Lord part. And then the next thought is that those are all separate and they never connect. No, that's extremely faulty thinking. Everything connects to the commitment that you made to the Lord and that I made to the Lord when we were baptized. When I obeyed the gospel, I put all of my life, Under the Lord's authority. Nothing left out. So here's our scope statements again. In everything I do. Inside the total scope of my existence. First I'm serving the Lord Christ. Before you even get to paydays. Before you get to reputation and resume. Before you get to all of that. I'm serving the Lord. Knowing that there is a reward for that service, but that service must be a comprehensive commitment of my total life. Then this in verse 25, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. I believe this statement functions in two ways. First, If I'm a wrongdoer in my capacity as an employee or a worker, that wrongdoing has a payday, not a good one. Example, my boss may never know that I have pilfered money from an account or I've taken office equipment without authority and the boss didn't see and none of my co-workers saw it and the cameras, the batteries were down. Men may never discover my faulty performance and my negligence on the job. Men on earth may never discover it. But God's camera works all the time. Everywhere. And there will be another serious payday for what I've done wrong and there is no partiality in that punishment. Now, this may convey another message. If you as an employee have been wronged, not treated fairly, passed over for a promotion, those guilty of mistreating you will have their payday with the Lord. You don't need to take that into your hands. It's in the Lord's hands. In the workplace, sometimes there is this punishment mentality where you're going to punish somebody that didn't treat you right and you get locked into that your attitude turns bad. Well, this is telling you that the Lord is going to take care of all that ultimately. What I need to do is serve the Lord with integrity and responsibility, and without all that office, politics, and punishment, knowing that from the Lord I will receive my inheritance, and on the judgment day, those who've done wrong, they will have their payday. That's the way I need to look at that. So, wives, husbands, children, fathers, and now workers in the workplace, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, Let me stop there before we take up chapter four, verse one that is related to all this. Questions or comments. Yes, ma'am. It kind of reminds me of the story of the he was so committed to God that um, his friends thought that he was because of for this problem because he's taking one subject that yes and he always knew. That focus on serving the Lord comes out in many of the Old Testament narratives. Alright, as I introduce introduce chapter 4 verse 1. When the Bible deals with relationships, it is always reciprocal. And by that I mean... God expects everyone in a relationship to accept responsibility according to their part in that relationship. And we've already seen that. Wives have their duties. Husbands have their duties. Parents have responsibility. Children have responsibility. Now here we are. We've been talking about workers employees now masters they're not left out masters treat your slaves justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven not only does God assign responsibility to the worker but also to the one the worker is working for on earth the master the boss the supervisor He has responsibility. And Christians who serve in that capacity need to take this to heart. And there are two words here. (coughs) Two words. Justice and fairness. Actually, the words in the ESV are justly and fairly. And I'm going to turn that into the form of justice and fairness. And all through the Bible, these terms are defined. They're defined really by the character and actions of God and the example of Christ. And in a host of passages and narratives and principles and illustrations, the Bible informs us of what justice and fairness is. It is to act in the highest interest without partiality but rather to act objectively not with favoritism and special treatment to your friends and i'm going to get the guy in the next cubicle before the next payday i'm going to hammer him in some way i'm going to get i'm going to get back at him no justice and fairness on the part of the employees and the master there are employers who exhibit an attitude that says if you were to put it into words this is my business it's not the Lord's business I get to define what is just and fair and I don't care about anything else but my profit and the future of my company obviously that's not the attitude of one who seeks to please the Lord The Bible speaks of fair and just wages. The Bible speaks of avoiding harsh treatment. We actually covered that back in verse 21 about fathers. Do not provoke your children. The Bible speaks against harsh treatment, even when you have authority. The Bible speaks against the misuse of that authority in Consequence or or as it would result in abusing someone, harsh treatment. Uh, Wrapped up into justice and fairness, there's patience, kind, compassionate, forgiving toward your workers. All of that's wrapped into this. It's what the Lord requires. Yes, you have a business to run and you've got a bottom line of profit but you also have much higher than accounting department. You have the final accounting department. Remember, the wrongdoer will be paid for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. I've known Christian employers, more than one, who have a plaque in their office of Colossians 4 and verse 1. Just to remind them of their commitment to the Lord. Remind them of what the Lord expects. And also it tells the employees and the customers that the master answers to a higher authority. That's the way it's expressed in chapter 4 verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, Knowing, this is knowledge you bring into the duty, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Well, I've timed it about right. We have ten minutes of takeaways. You probably already have an idea of what those takeaways are going to be, but we're going to elaborate on some of them. Colossians 3, 22, through chapter 4, verse 1. Questions or comments? Takeaways then. If you are really a Christian, there is nowhere you go without taking the teaching of Christ with you. We bring our Bibles here, either in this form or on your phone or tablet. We bring our Bibles here. We read and study the teaching of Christ here. But the purpose is that we use this out there. If it's just something that we do here, then we have limited intention that impacts our relationship with God and how we're going to stand before Him eventually. We bring our Bibles here. We read and study the teaching of Christ here, but the purpose is to use this teaching out there. Now, out there may be, for you, mostly home. It may be in recreational activities. It may be in the neighborhood, at school, or at work, or the coffee shop, or the restaurant. With your family, with your friends, wherever out there is. If you're really a Christian, there is nowhere you go without taking with you the teaching of Christ. And I can say that based on this passage and what is contained in this passage that I have stressed in those scopes. Statements. Those scope statements are not limited. Like, here's the religious part of your life, and that's where this works. No, this works everywhere, with only the Acts 5.29 exception. This works everywhere. So back in verse 17, here's the scope statement. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then you come to verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord Christ in verse 24. You have these scope statements in everything obey in verse 22. So these scope statements have to do with what we're to do all the time. I'm going to include one more that we'll study on Sunday. Look down in chapter 4 at verse 6. I'm going to read chapter 4 verse 6. And we're going to be looking for that scope statement again. Or that word that indicates the broad scope of this. Let your speech sometimes be gracious. Oh, I didn't read that right, did I? Let your speech always be gracious. seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And Paul had just made reference back in verse 4, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So my speech should always have with it, embedded in it, the good attitudes and the teachings from Jesus Christ. So if I'm really a Christian, I'm a Christian all the time. Every location, every relationship, no matter how bad or good or how much pressure I'm under or how irritated I might be, I'm determined to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Occasional Christianity is not a biblical concept. Occasional Christianity is not a biblical concept. Concept. I read something the other day where these parents, this was on a satirical website, but it really makes a point. These parents said about their 22-year-old daughter, we don't know why she lost her faith. We took her to church every Christmas and Easter. See how that makes a point? There's no such thing as occasional Christianity in the Bible. Number two. I want to highlight again this phrase in verse 22, with sincerity of heart, fear the Lord. That's integrity and genuineness in your relationship with God. This, this is God-based, everything we're talking about. Now, your boss may not be godly at all. The policies in your workplace may sometimes be confusing and hard to follow. There may be co-workers who are very difficult people, or clients who are difficult people, supervisors up the ladder who are difficult people, yet the Christian will go to work and go into every day ready with sincere heart to do what is right, In the fear of the Lord. Remember, his camera is there all the time. Now, sometimes there's an option or an opportunity to get another job, sometimes there is no such opportunity. The Christian refuses to sacrifice integrity and slough off work performance because there's somebody in the workplace he doesn't like or there's a policy that he disagrees with. There's usually a procedure you go through. If there's a policy you think might be changed, but that procedure is not disobedience. Paul explains this kind of sincerity and godly fear excludes eye service. There are workers or employees who just meet the bare minimum of job performance. I know some of you who've been in the workplace, you've probably seen that. People who just meet the minimum bare minimum requirement in job performance just enough to stay on the payroll claiming that the boss isn't fair and the policies aren't good so when the boss is looking or the video camera is on it looks like you're doing a great job well that's eye service or it is service just for the eye and pleasure of the boss to get the paycheck such an attitude is excluded here Do the work you are paid to do, and do it not just for the company or the boss, but because the Lord expects excellence. The Lord expects excellence. And here's the way I'm going to conclude this. There may be audits and accounting here on earth. To look at the bottom line and check job performance and there may be evaluations <clears throat> in your workplace where you are evaluated or maybe as a supervisor you evaluate someone else well there is a final audit and a final job performance evaluation that's going to be given knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality so there may be injustices that you observe in unfairness and harsh treatment and overwork and you may be underpaid and their policies you don't like if God's will has been violated, it will all be made right someday. And what my responsibility is, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So, final questions or comments? The Christian in the workplace might be a title that you would attach to this in Colossians 3. 22 down through chapter 4, verse 1. You've heard me express before how sometimes chapter divisions in the Bible do not really take you to a new subject, but just extend. That's why in Bibles that are paragraphed, it's very likely that this paragraph is going to take in 4.1. Because 4.1 is really a part of the discussion that's ongoing from 22 to 25. And so now the chapter division, if they had asked me to do the chapter division, but they didn't. The chapter division would start in chapter 4, verse 2, and that's where we'll be Sunday morning. Thank you for your good attention to our study.